Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before you start today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over at IndieCornrows.com. Caitlin Cooper wrote a really great piece on what went wrong with the Pacers zone defense uh, on Saturday night. Uh, or was it? No, that was Friday night. Joining me now is Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah, it's tough to keep track of stuff when the Pacers are on the West Coast. Like all the days yes. start to blend together. Like when you're up until midnight watching a basketball game in Portland, it just seems like everything's a big mess of time. Well, especially that basketball game in Portland. So <laughs> yes. I yeah. was watching it at, at 2 p.m. yesterday and it was still uh still I felt like I was in a time loop again anyways. But um yeah, Pacers won tonight in Sacramento. Uh it felt like a game that neither team really deserved to win, but the Pacers do escape 94 to 91, 19 turnovers uh to 13 assists, uh zero fast break points for Indiana. Um just a, a very odd game in a lot of ways that we're going to break down and, and dive into. Um, I guess first thing I can I'll, I'll pause it really quick. Uh, you noted this. Uh, it looked like Chris Duarte may have injured his shoulder a little bit. Um, nothing was mentioned about it in, in post game media, but um, he, he did seem to have, you know, he was kind of uh, gosh, I can't I cannot speak right now. I'm sorry. I'm seating the floor to you. My mouth is just like destroyed. I don't know why. Right. I think he took like a tumble at the end of the, I want to say at the end of the first half. And then when he came out in the second half, pretty much anytime the camera was on him, he looked like he was rubbing his shoulder. So like yeah. there may not have actually been like an injury. It might've just been bothering him because they never showed that he went and got evaluated. They clearly didn't provide an update at the end of the game, but I would have thought that he would have been in, in the closing lineups. Like he wasn't playing the last few minutes there. And then, like I said, he shot one of five in the second half. So I'm assuming that it was it was bothering him at least a little bit or else he wouldn't have been rubbing it and working it out quite as much as he was. So like a lot of people during the game were asking, like, why aren't they playing Chris? Why aren't they toting more of that offense? So that might have been a factor. I don't know that. We'll wait and see tomorrow if they say anything about it. But yeah, no, definitely. And that'll be I mean, hopefully he's OK and things things are OK. Um, you know, obviously, since he played in the second half, you hope maybe it's just a stinger. But let's talk about the rotation. So the team played 11 deep in the first half, obviously, uh, um, which was a little bit different. You know, obviously, you have to take into account that Malcolm Brogdon didn't play tonight. He's still out. Uh, but, you know, playing Jeremy Lamb, Keelan Martin, and, and Goga Bataze for, for small runs, I think Jeremy and Keelan both had to. Goga just won. Um, where were you at with that? And then we can dive into the rotation from there. Because I, I did think that was a little bit odd. Um, but where were you at with that? Well, it seems like Goga has carved out a little bit of a role yeah. playing with Sabonis some in, in each of the last several games. And Keelan's been playing because he shot the ball better and they just need somebody who can shoot. But yeah, I mean, it was deeper. Some of it might have been a factor, too, that Karras and Miles had early fouls. So maybe they were trying to preserve some of that for the second half because they knew they were going to need both of them. Mm -hmm. But the rotation itself, like, I, 
I don't know, like TJ and Karis, like it feels like the last several games that Karis hasn't been getting as many opportunities, especially up in Portland, even though he had a lot of shots and he had a lot of shots tonight to be running primary and be initiating offense like we were seeing at the back end of last season. So for me, it was a little bit confusing why, like, yes, you're going to start TJ and Karras just like you start Turner and Sabonis, but why the two of them weren't being staggered more because the lineup in the first half that had uh, Wanamaker, I believe it was Wanamaker, Jeremy, Justin, and Craig, I don't know who was supposed to be initiating offense in that group. Like, ideally, Wanamaker, but he was really struggling to get into basic actions tonight. I actually thought he was better in Portland, but yeah. Um, he was back. He had taken another step back in this particular contest with his uh, handle on that. So, so bonus was getting saddled in those groups and really wasn't getting touches. I mean, the one possession, I mean, you and I have talked about it before. It's, it's very frustrating to me. Watch both bigs fight for position on duck ins and then not touch the ball that happened a couple of times. And then there was one where he ran the floor and was wide open for, I don't know how long and Keelan Jack the contested three out on the perimeter. Like they just weren't getting into stuff. So I thought it would have been better off if they had staggered Karras with the bench and let him run some high pick and roll, like what they ended up doing in the third quarter with Sabonis. Cause that really kind of, I mean, Karras was not heavily involved in the first half at all. I don't remember how many shots he had, but they came out in the third and were running the little zipper into high pick and roll with Sabonis. And he got two quick scores out of that and also assisted Sabonis on the roll. So that looked good, but it was kind of, I don't know how you felt, but it was like an interesting dynamic with Levert in general, because it felt yeah. early on that it was not near enough Karras. And, and then, then late, it felt yeah. like it was way too much Karras. Like, I think he was, let me see, six of 17 in the second half, 35% from the field. And a lot of it, like, I have no problem if you're going to keep giving him screens to come off of, but there was times once Sabonis went to the bench where he was running it with miles, where I felt like he probably could have thrown it back to miles on the pop and he just hunted shots and then, like, they were just ISOing him. So what was your thoughts on the Karis LeVert experience in this particular game? Yeah, no, like you mentioned, uh, I feel like even looking back at yesterday, we just haven't seen as much of Karis running pick and roll as we did earlier on, which is a little bit disappointing because especially with, you know, um, I mean, maybe part of it's messed up rotation-wise because a lot of it's been pairing Malcolm and, and Miles and, and pairing Domas and, and Karis when they're all healthy. Um but seeing them kind of go away from that has been confusing, especially because of, I mean, I mean, Karis, like we've talked about it, Karis is probably the best pick and roll playmaker on the team in terms of like just the vision he has on top of his handle and scoring gravity. Um, so you got to use that. And uh, like you're mentioning, I mean, you just pull up the fourth quarter play-by-play, like it's Karis Levert, 11-foot pull-up, Karis Levert, 9-foot pull-up. And all of it's coming out of, you know, after – uh, not really getting much separation off the screen or just not getting downhill, um, you know, kind of diverting into an isolation clear out. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I'd like to think that the scouting staff has watched enough film of Davion Mitchell over the last three weeks to know, Hey, you know, it, even though Karis shot, uh, he had a couple of nice shots, like that one uh, banker that, that went off the back of the rim and, and bounced up and in like, that was, that was nice. But there were also a lot, of pull-ups that just did not fall. Um, and that's just kind of been, I don't, I don't want, want to be overly critical, but I do think like you're mentioning, there were a lot of times where it's like, okay, you either got to find a way to get all the way to the rim or, 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 or get the ball moving again, because it's just a lot of the, the possessions kind of died down and, and a really rough shot in the half court. Right. I think he only had one shot at the rim in the second half total. 
And, you know, I think some of it too, like what I said, I thought Miles was wide open on a couple of them, but it mm-hmm. seems like Karras really wants to play downhill. I mean, when he was in Brooklyn, he never really played with a pick and pop big. So he's a little bit better at like holding it on to the last second and spoon feeding the roller right at the rim. But I mean, I thought Miles was making himself available decently. And then there was mm-hmm. some in the paint where it felt like, you know, and I don't want to be too critical, but the one, it was like he was pounding the ball, the air out of the ball. Like there was way too much dribbling. It's like, okay, you're not gaining any ground here. Like go ahead and move it. But, um, you know, and some of it too, some of the actual, like him running pick and roll might also be a product of, you know, he is starting with TJ. And I think most everyone would probably agree that, you know, on ball TJ with the exception of, you know, how he suddenly made three threes in Portland is a better combination than off ball TJ. So, but if they were staggered, Karis would have had more space to be doing that. But yeah, cause I mean, in the second half, then they went back again at the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth with Wanamaker, Justin Craig and Duarte and like Duarte can do some playmaking in secondary situations, but he's still like, I feel like he still has quite a bit of work to do to be finding yeah. the the window with rollers. And that's fine. Like it, it feels like too much to even be asking of him to do that right now. I think he's doing so many other things well, but it's like, there's just no playmaking in that group. Like, I don't know what they were really expecting to come to fruition with that, but that was kind of when the lead started to dwindle again during that window of time. Like I just, I, I found myself wishing for uh, different rotation decisions throughout a lot of that contest, but Hey. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like, and, and just to go back with Chris, like we've seen him and we've talked about it, like his, his playmaking reads have, have really advanced past where I thought they would be right now, especially coming out of Oregon and what we saw, but like, you know, with how many opportunities he was getting on the ball um, and, and how many, like he had some really nice reads early on in the game. But then you saw later on, like he uh, he tried to go for that corner pass, uh, a corner skip for like the third time in the game. And Tyrese Halliburton saw it coming from a mile away and picked it off. And it was, uh, I think it was a dunk on the other end. So like, you know, that kind of stuff, it, you, it, I don't want to say he's premeditating everything, but defenses know or, or a, are able to hone in on some of the things he's trying to do and and, and get on that. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's hard to have him run some of that stuff. Um, like you're mentioning too, uh, I mean, that that unit, I just I don't want to be overly critical. And I said this on Twitter, too. Like, I I mean, you know me. I think you and I both try and be very fair and not overly critical. But I just I, I've seen enough to say that there should not be another Brad Wanamaker ball handler, lead ball handler unit the rest of the season. Um, like there is just nothing there that's inspiring to me in terms of him being able to run the offense. And that's not saying he doesn't have utility. Like I do think that he does some things, especially if his shots going that are useful, but um, leading an offense is not one of them. Uh, So that's just, yeah, that was, that was really, really rough. Um, And we'll, we'll see what happens with that moving forward. But um, thus far, I have not been uh, very inspired by that. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is I actually didn't think he was too bad up in Portland. Like he was making some easier plays than, TJ and Lavert were in some respects, but, uh, and that's kind of another thing, like not to go back to the game in Portland because obviously TJ really lifted some load with the scoring in both games and was efficient, but this one, 
like just to talk about TJ in general, I felt like this was like a vintage McConnell game more so than what Mm -hmm. happened up in Portland. And not just because of like, he didn't take any threes tonight, like even ignoring that, like it was back to his bread and butter of like, you know, going back to a few of the Bjorkren sets where he's getting to attack baseline and and get to his spots and, and actually be putting the defense into rotation. I felt like so much of what happened in Portland that neither he nor Levert, like, I mean, some of it from Levert was shot hunting again, and some of it from TJ was him trying to, you know, assert himself as a scorer. There just wasn't enough playmaking happening. And even tonight, like, I thought TJ played an overall really good game, but, like, he was the leading assist guy with four. And, you know, and some of that's just because guys didn't shoot the ball well. I mean, like I said, in addition to having zero fast break points and more turnovers than assists, they shot six to 25 from three. So if people knock down shots, then obviously the assist numbers are going to be higher. But at the same time, like... I don't feel like they're always putting teams in the blender as much as they need to be. If they're going to be playing this type of offense, like I don't feel like they're getting to like to the second side to get teams moving out of the driving kick as much as what needs to be happening. But that's just my overall impression. No, I agree. And I I'm trying to look back through where I have it in my notes, but there was a possession. Um, I think it was, uh, gosh, I'm trying to find it right now. Um, it was like late in the second when uh, when Sacramento started to make that run, and like there was just the point where with the way that that some of the guys were out on court, I think it was with the starting lineup actually. Yeah, it was the nine minute mark of the fourth quarter, so I think it was the starters out still, um, if I remember, or it might have been the Domas bench unit. Um, and I literally just wrote, Sacramento does not give a shit about the shooters on the court. Like uh, they there were points where they were just sagging so far into the paint because they did not care about the spacers. Like if, if Domas is out to three or, and again, it's stuff we've talked about, but like if Domas is out to three, even with Tory Craig, like Tory had a rough game tonight. I thought like he was fine defensively, but um, he went from looking pretty comfortable taking almost any jumper to now, um, you know, reverting back to some of the checking out of a lot of things. Like there was a wide open three that he could have taken early in the third Um that he passed out of and it ended up being an even more contested jumper. And uh, there just was no real, uh, there, there was just a lot of, a lot of side to side moves uh, without really getting any penetration in the defense. And, and, and Sacramento was like, okay, we're not going to guard you. Um, and that happened pretty quickly. So uh, yes, I, I and, that was a total side tangent. I don't remember where I was no, going. No, no. And then yeah. one other side note, like on the overall playmaking, like this one thing that made it more difficult and made those lineups even harder to play when you didn't have a lot of playmaking out there is because Sacramento was top locking everything. Mm-hmm. Like they were top locking Justin and Duarte coming off of the staggers, coming off any type of motion offense that they were running for the two of them. So it was already going to be harder to get that type of flow going. So they needed to be having, like I said, more, more ability. If you're going to have to rely more on driving kick, um, which I don't think that you completely have to rely on, but that's just another quibble of mine. But if you were going to be relying on that, it felt like you needed to be putting Sacramento's defense in the blender a little bit more than what they were. And, and the same I felt in Portland, but. Well, okay. So I have, I have another thing I want to say off that. And actually, actually two things. Number one, like you're mentioning with relying on driving kick so much, part of the problem is like, I feel like the driving kick really only works with the starting lineup. And even then it doesn't, I don't think it works entirely. Like it was really rough because, you know, obviously Domas has been willing to take threes this year, but even then, I mean, he's what, I think. Two no, he's shooting the three really now. poorly right now. And he's shooting the three really yeah, poorly right exactly. now. Exactly. And, and now he's 
starting to check out of some stuff and he's trying to drive, but also, I mean, defenses are not respecting him as a shooter. So you, you drive into the defense and it's not really doing anything. I don't mean that as a slight at Domas, but like, he's clearly just not in a position where it makes a lot of sense for him. Like, and, and especially with the way that defenses are playing, I mean, they're, they're fine just sagging off of him and helping at the nail uh, if he's spaced up in the slot. And then that just kind of kills the possession because you end up with a Domas wide open three and, that you know it's just blah cool um so that's been rough um the other thing though like you mentioned with uh like we're talking a little bit with fast break and and not putting them in a blender I think part of that was with fast break like Rick mentioned in the game afterwards that they and and you know it clicked for me too because I'd I'd noticed it on court how much Rick was like telling them don't don't push it like don't push in the break I didn't really understand that entirely I, I don't know if you feel differently but um, like I understand this team has struggled defending in transition. So, you know, if you go out in transition, you miss a quick basket, maybe it's easier for, for the Kings to get back and score on transition themselves. That's a factor for sure. But um, I, I really just thought that there were op- like, there were a lot of opportunities where they could have really just tried to gun it and, and go for it in transition. Like they have a lot of this year. Um, and obviously it's not the total bread and butter of the team, but I do think they took away a lot of easier opportunities for themselves by not wanting to get into that because I think Rick Rick mentioned that um, you know they they thought Sacramento really thrives on on playing fast and um, playing loose, which is true. But you know, also uh, it just felt like they kind of caught off their nose despite their face in some ways with that. Yeah, I agree with Carlisle's assessment that you probably don't want to get into a track meet with the Sacramento Kings. But at the same time, I think it depends on where you're picking your spots to run. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think you need to be pushing it up and taking the first shot possible off of a Sacramento make. But when Sacramento was had live ball turnovers, I don't really see why you can't push with numbers and try to get something at the basket. But um yeah, I don't think you really want to leave a game with zero fast break points. Yeah. I don't think that's really probably a goal. But, like, yeah, just to touch on some of the Sabonis stuff before we get to the game that Miles had. Like, I mean, Sabonis had 17 and 10. But at the same time, I'm with you. Like, I watched so much of it. And, I mean, everybody knows I never really needed the Sabonis three-point shooting experience it's fine. It was fine against Charlotte when he made them. I didn't really think that was probably going to be something that he was going to make four threes every game or that he was going to suddenly be jab stepping into threes. And that was going to be a consistent weapon. But um, if he, if he's leveraged out there and he, and he takes one in the corner or, you know, something fine, but what you're saying is absolutely the case. Like they're talking about him getting swarmed, which is absolutely the truth. Like pretty much every team going back to Toronto has been doing that to him on the catch, but Sabonis getting double teamed, isn't a bad thing. I mean, last year when he got double teamed in the post, they scored over a point per possession, which is super efficient offense out of those passes. The difference now is, is if he, you know, dribbles out of a three point attempt and goes into the paint, how they're doubling him. There's no way to know where those doubles are coming from. They're just collapsing into the paint and it makes it a lot harder to spray the ball out and that setting versus when you're in the low post or it's in a controlled, like, Hey, this is an action that we're running for you. Kind of like, I don't have a problem with him being on ball. He was good on ball and in verse pick and roll situations last year, which is why I brought this up clear back at the Nets game. They're still running the Bjorkren 
you know, Toronto Raptors Siakam play where they run and pitch the ball back to him to get to his strong left hand. That's a set action designed to carve a space for him to get downhill and be able to make a play for others. But if people are going to overplay that whenever he goes into the handoff, I don't understand why they're not going and setting the screen for him so he can still attack. Like that's, that's being purposeful in the spots that he's getting the ball. Whereas a lot of this just feels like, Hey, go make something up on the fly and like the broadcast is talking a lot about how he's getting easier shots. And sometimes when they're in pick and roll and they're being, you know, very, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, particular about how they're manipulating taggers. That's true, but I don't understand how it would possibly be easier for him to dribble into the teeth of a defense into a post-up rather than just setting a deep screen for him to get that. Or like they're just expecting he and Miles to be ducking in all the time, which they're doing and they're fighting for position. But I don't know how many times, like I, I said earlier, that I can watch like people not give them the ball in those settings. It's very frustrating to me. And like even if you, you look at the game against the Knicks, he was basically used like a body magnet. Like Tom Thibodeau is one of the rare coaches who defends Miles with the five and is just like, you know, if he beats us from three, he beats us from three. And that worked last year. It did not work this year. All credit to Miles for shooting seven to 10 from three and being as confident as he was in that game. But you're basically just shifting Sabonis around and hoping that a bunch of people like go to him as the tagger or converge on him. And I just don't think in the long run, if this is the roster you're going to maintain, that it's going to be a sustainable thing to be like, oh, if Torrey Craig gets more shots than Sabonis in a game against the Knicks, that's going to be a viable strategy later on when you kind of like need to clear up your all-star to be able to score. And it's not even just like about his averages. I really don't care about that. Great that there's a balanced effort and it was the right thing against the Knicks to be establishing miles and have him shooting those shots. Like it, every game is each and to its own. It's just that right now, when you watch what he's having to do in the offense, everything looks very hard to me. So I see things kind of the opposite. I don't think he is getting easier shots. I think he's getting much harder shots. And sometimes it's to the detriment. Cause like what you're saying, I don't, we already saw the Sabonis stretch four experiment in Oklahoma city. I don't like need a lot of that. So I don't, I just think that at some point in time, you're going to have to reorient the approach there. Or quite frankly, it just feels like a waste of what he does. Like, and, and I will say like, it's not just all about how he's being used. Like obviously up in Portland, he had way too many turnovers. You don't need to have six turnovers in a game, but some of those turnovers are a product of what you and I are saying, like just dribbling into the teeth of a defense and hoping that he's going to be able to make something happen when he's playing in bench lineups without other playmakers to even get him the ball. So, I mean, he was good in isolation last year. His numbers were good, but right now it feels a little bit iffy to me, but I don't know how, where you stand on his overall role and how he's being used. No, I agree. Like, uh, I don't want to say that nothing is scripted for him, um, but it feels like you're, you're mentioning, like a lot of his individual scoring opportunities are coming either out of pick and roll, which has been relatively infrequent, especially with Malcolm out of the lineup. And, uh, and out of, you know, DHOs being overplayed and just him, you know, it's he, he, he surveys for his second or third option. And then he's like, OK, I'm going to the rim because it's it's just I, there's there's nothing open here. And it's just not great. Like he's a lot better. Like, I mean, he's he can be good if like you mentioned, if put in the right scenario, getting downhill, he's good. But for the most part, like, I mean, his his touch is much better when he's he's. Uh, on the move as a roller or just, you know, coming out of the post and able to get into his footwork. And it just, it's, yeah, it's been very frustrating to watch because it just hasn't really felt right. And I, I, I'm right there with you. I, every time 
that I've heard Quinn and, and Chris say on the broadcast, like I've, I've kind of just disagreed. I've been like, I don't, I don't know. Nothing has felt really that easy for Domas this year. And that's not really his fault. It's just how the offense has, has put him in place. No, I did. It did in the early games before, like, like what defensive approach he's seeing, like the way he's being guarded is completely different than the way other people on the team are being guarded with the exception of some of the blitzing that Portland just normally does in their normal defensive scheme. Like, I just don't know that I think that they've been finding great ways to mitigate some of that. Cause like, if you look back at like the Victor Oladipo magical season, like I remember early on, I was like, Oh, he's starting to get trapped and he's not handling those traps very well, which obviously Sabonis is a better passer and in relative context to what each of them do than Mm -hmm. what Victor was at the time and how often he was turning it over out of the traps. And I was like, you know, Nate McMillan would always just say, well, he's got to get the ball out of there. And then that's what we ended up seeing against Cleveland. Like it was just expecting him to make like these meek and mild passes with a few different adjustments that they tried to make instead of like, okay, why not set like a down screen into the big to set a screen for Victor. So that trap is later getting there, like stuff to mitigate some of the congestion. Like, I don't think that's necessarily there. And again, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be about Sabonis scoring. It's about, making sure that the, I mean, Tom Thibodeau said this about Julius Randall after they played the Raptors. He was like, you know, Julius getting doubled is good, but we got to take advantage of that gravity. Like you're always wanting shifts in gravity as a team. And there was just times where the spacing around him in those two games was like, you know, this isn't beneficial to him and this isn't beneficial to anybody else that's out on the court. So, um, yeah. I think that there's still some stuff that needs to be figured out because going into the season, I thought it was going to be a good thing if they got like if his post percentage went down and his roll rate went up. I thought that that was going to make a lot of sense because that would be easier, like just getting shots at the basket, getting him back in the middle of the floor where he can do stuff on the short roll makes sense. But then, you know, I was on a pregame short game in Portland show in Portland and I was like, hey, this might actually be a game where we see him on the short roll because Portland's going to probably blitz Karis at the very least. And um then when it happened like then they the guards weren't getting him to the the ball on the slip to be able to make plays and that again is what's going to put teams into the blender like I watched when Portland played um Cleveland and the Sixers and Jared Allen like at the middle of the floor getting the ball out of the blitz and just passing it to shooters out on Cleveland's perimeter like that's that's making a defense like Portland's that quite frankly, hasn't been very good this year to have to scramble around. And, you know, that wasn't going to be the same thing tonight because Sacramento wasn't blitzing, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it was going to, my long winded point was I thought it would be good if his post-up frequency went down some from last year when it was like, okay, you know, people are going under, it's just turning into him having to wrestle on the block in favor of more role stuff. And now it's like, okay, but you're not getting a lot on the role because of how teams are converging and you're still not, really getting him touches around the basket. So like, what's the end game here? And it's not because it's all about him or what is, again, it's not about what his averages are or anything else, or right now it's about winning games, but in the long run, I think you're going to have to figure that out in order to win games. Yeah, no, I agree. And it seems like something that's going to be uh, kind of pertinent moving forward uh, in how we're talking about the team, because it was, uh, it was on display again tonight. Uh, well, to talk about one of the brighter spots of tonight, yes. We can talk about Miles. Miles was fantastic tonight. Uh, yeah. Four of 10 from the floor, two of five from three, got to the line once. Um, but more importantly, like, and he was still aggressive. That was, that was huge. Continues to be aggressive in taking his shots. Um, but the biggest thing, and he got asked about this in post game, um, 
and it's something that I had, I'd noted the other day. I mean, his part of it, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to, as you know, like you and I both like being really in depth with stuff. Like I wanted to wait for a bigger sample size to be sure. It was pretty clear that he was rebounding better this year, but like that, that has stood out on, you know, statistically. Um, he's got his best offensive rebound percentage of his career, best defensive rebounding percentage of his career, just best total rebounding percentage of his career. Uh, and it's been noticeable how how much more active he's been on the glass. I haven't uh, been able to look at uh, anything in terms of, you know, how that's impacted him boxing out or anything. Uh, the team has been a little bit better rebounding this year. They're still bottom third in the league, but they're not, um, you know, they're not bottom of the bottom third. So that's that's a plus. But the rebounding was was awesome, and the defense was really great too. Obviously, had five blocks and a steal. But um, yeah, where do you want to start with this? Because he had a he just had a tremendous night tonight. Yeah, I mean, just like I mean, both of us have said, like I was never super concerned about his individual rebounding numbers when they were lower than what they are last year. It's obviously a boon when it's better. Like you, more rebounds the better. Mm-hmm. I never really thought he deserved all of the blame for yeah, why the rebounding wasn't good. And I do think that last year he was coming up with some contested ones that kind of showed that he could make strides in that area. But tonight he came up with several contested ones where he got in and either tip stuff. I like it when he, you know, sometimes I don't even know if he gets credited for it, but he'll, he'll get a tap that'll lead to somebody else getting a rebound. Um, I didn't watch to see how that was marked down, but to give him another flower, I think that he's good at that. Um, he totally covered up Rashawn Holmes. I mean, I think that was a big difference maker in the game. Like, I don't know how many, let's see, what did Rashawn have? have? Yeah, he was two of four. Like, I didn't feel like he could get into his little floater range very well. I thought that he covered that up pretty well. Um, Avon was kind of immovable a couple times when, when Rashawn tried to carve out a little bit of space. So that was really nice to see. The blocks are always really good to see. Um, yeah, I mean, if they wouldn't have got the amount of rebounds that they did, and he and Sabonis both had, um, I believe, offensive putbacks. I don't know how many second chance points that each of them had. They each had Sabonis had three offensive rebounds. Miles had two. Like the rebounding was kind of the difference in the game. Like the fact yeah. that they got out, out got more offensive rebounds than Sacramento made up for the other stuff that they were doing that wasn't great on offense. So um, that was obviously a major contributing factor as well. Four ten in the field, and I mean, you and I mentioned it off the top. Like the difference in his defense tonight versus what his defense was at Portland was like night and day. Like he was terrific for the full 48 minutes, which is the normal kind of miles experiences for him to have, you know, a good defensive game. And up in Portland, I thought that was one of his, like, I don't want to say worse, but like not very good. That was like, I was watching that game and I had to go back through my notes from, from other games this year and be like, am I just missing like has he not been in this good this as good this year defensively, or is it just this one game's warping my perception? Like, yeah, he had a really rough game defensively. Yeah, because I mean, in the first quarter, like he, I mean, like we talked about this in the last podcast. Like, I don't really. They were switching some stuff. I didn't think they should be switching, and then he was getting stuck in mud. Like that happened early in the first quarter. They switched it. He and Dorte oh the corners. Switched. Oh my god. Yeah, he switched to DHO, the yeah. and then like yeah, then late in the one three one, which again that's kind of like a scheme thing where it's like you know. Do we really want Miles's rim protection being shifted out to the corners in a one-three-one? I mean, that was his responsibility to go out there, but then he was giving up baseline a couple mm-hmm. times, um, and then like Nurkic wasn't really being aggressive scoring, but he did slip behind him several times. Like there was just several breakdowns that were uncharacteristic on his standpoint, like not necessarily late in 
well, I mean, he played, he's had a scoring flurry late in the fourth quarter, but I thought through like the first three quarters, like his defense just wasn't where it's normally been. Yeah. And I, I know that Rick said that we're not supposed to talk about his points. We're supposed to talk about the other things that he does. So talking about the other things that he does tonight, he played terrific defense for, I thought the entire game minus, you know, normal things that happen to people. Like I'm sure that there was probably times where somebody got an offensive rebound, but overall he was great on the glass covered up stuff in the paint, made good rotations, communicated well. So that was a nice rebound to see. Also, this is very random. Uh, part of the reason why I love watching De'Aaron Fox is because he makes some of the best defenders on the planet just look like little kids. Like that That finish he had through Miles uh, was just a tremendous. I think that was in the third quarter. I can't remember. Um, but it was just a drive out of pick and roll. And Miles was like perfectly positioned. Time is contest great, and it just didn't matter because De'Aaron Fox is, like, one of the 10 best athletes in the NBA. Um, like, I, I was just talking about this with some friends today, like, sitting back and trying to, like, recognize some of the things of the game that are, are just cool, and you have, like, no, like no real control over, or, like, it doesn't really need analysis. It's just, like, cool shit happens, and it's, it's fun to notice. Um, random quick question just off of, off of the defense with Miles, too. I understand, and I actually quite like, and we've talked about it, the hard hard hedging and trapping with Domas. How do you feel about doing it when Miles is on the court? Because I, I do think there are times like he's good at executing it, I think, but um, like you were talking about a little bit with the one three one, it just feels a little bit like okay, well, I get why you're trying to do that, and I want I understand throwing in new looks, but also like it's one of the three or four best rim protectors in the NBA. Do we need to hard hedge? I mean, I think it goes back to what happened in that, which, I mean, tonight they were doing a lot more in drop, I felt, but yep. I mean, it, and it's somewhat personnel driven, like what coverage they're using. But I felt like late against Portland when CJ McCollum was hunting some of the switches, like when Sabonis and Miles were both on the court or when it was just Miles that like, why weren't they hard showing and recovering? Like they were using other hedge schemes that way. Miles wouldn't have been getting caught on the Island. Like, and then that's just another thing. Like that was kind of the benefit. Like this is going to sound really counterintuitive, but when, when they were, when they were double big late in that game against Portland and Dame or CJ was like, Hey, Robert Covington, come set a screen because I want to attack Sabonis in space the benefit of Sabonis being on the court right then was that they were going to bring Sabonis to attack in space and Miles was still going to be under the basket. When they were playing solo big and then you're just attacking Miles in space and he's beat, there's nobody there. Like there was nobody there to protect once the person got around. So what you're saying does have some merit that like sometimes if you are going to hedge, then yeah, he's going to be out of the picture. And if you're not rotating on point, then it is displacing him, but you know, if, if it's, if it's, you know, a Steph Curry or if it's Luka Doncic or if, you know, a terrific playmaker in that sense, then it's probably a look that you're going to want to use anyways. Like in the past, even with Nate McMillan and Dan Burke, I know that um, they use miles sometimes that way against Trey young when he got hot. I mean, I, those are the types of times I would use it when it's Turner, but I think mostly why they did it was just because the point of attack defense was struggling so much and it was putting, yeah miles in bad spots where he was having to defend two people at once. But, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So last question I have for you then, um, well, actually two more number one, uh, what is your concern level overall with the point of attack defense? Because even tonight, I didn't, I didn't really think it was that great. It just felt like the Kings missing a lot of shots. 
Um, and not to just, you know, like I, I do think that the team had some really good defensive possessions and stretches in general, but also like just noting Harrison Barnes missed like three looks at the rim that he just doesn't miss normally. De'Aaron Fox wasn't very good at the rim compared to what he is normally. Um, like there was a lot of stuff that played into that not being fantastic. So, um, you know, I mean, the point of attack defense has just been a worry the whole year. Where are you kind of at with that right now? I mean, I feel like I, I like that they've been more flexible with it. Like when yeah. they played the Knicks, I felt like the fact that they were willing to cross match that, because I remember when you and I did the post game pod after the Knicks preseason game, I brought up, I was like, why were they having Brogdon defend Kemba? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then when they were in this regular season game, they let Duarte guard Kemba and put Brogdon on Evan Fournier and put Lavert on RJ Barrett. And all of that made complete sense to me because then when Randall and Evan Fournier went into handoffs, they switched them and Brogdon strong and was holding up pretty nicely against Julius Randall in the post. Like they were bringing a late double, but like Brogdon has a strong trunk about him when he, when he's standing <laughs> in the post. So um, I'm sorry. Was, I appreciate your word choice. Yes. Anyways. This is the best thing I could think of at the time. But I mean, I mean, Julius Randle is a tough dude and like Brogdon wasn't really moving back a lot on some of those possessions, but point being, um, they were still switching like the three of them, if it was guard to guard stuff, all three of them were switching across it, but it just made a lot more sense to me to put Duarte right on to Kemba. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I didn't know why in the reverse that Tom Thibodeau didn't do that. I don't know why they kept letting Kemba like get eviscerated at the point of attack instead of putting him on Duarte where he wouldn't have been having to defend as many drives, but um, they did that again. Like I, I expect that when all three of them are healthy, they'll probably go back to more of that look. Um, I don't think it's necessarily great. I mean, TJ McConnell's fighting a lot, but some of it, what's probably skewing our perception too, is that so much like in Portland and even tonight they did some zone like TJ was just having to like chase back and forth at the top of the one, three, one. And it, it made it look like people were beating him in spots where like, if they were just playing straight up, man, it might not have, looked as poorly like that the one three one had a lot of challenges mark it had a lot of challenges late <laughs> yeah. like once once portland was like oh they're playing one three one like basically we're just going to over overload the floor and just throw the ball to the corner and that was all they needed to do like it was pretty much broken over and over again but anyways yeah. no i agree there's uh yeah there's there's a lot to work out with that one three one uh we'll see on that um well, Caitlin, do you have anything else you want to hit on from the game? I think that just about wraps everything up there. No, I mean, hopefully, just to look forward, since they are playing in Denver next, I don't know if Michael Porter Jr. is going to be healthy for that game or not. He went out yesterday with back soreness and didn't seem great. And he's obviously struggling to shoot the ball here early anyways. But, I mean, I don't know. They At least they got their first road win out of the way. They go into that game. Denver's bench is really struggling. Hopefully the Pacers can, you know, rearrange some of their combinations and hopefully Malcolm Brogdon's healthy by Wednesday and, and can come back and play. And feels like they should have a pretty good chance in that one. But of course, like we'll see and probably end up looking dumb because I also thought they would have a chance in Portland and then things didn't go so well. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, if you just remove the last five minutes. Yeah, it was great. Um, well, and the entire like first quarter when they were yeah, on top of yeah. each other on offense and That's giving up point. easy transition um, points. Yeah, that and also too uh, with Denver. I mean, Jokic is playing like even yeah. better than he did last year, which is astounding. Um, but I agree, they're they're trying to figure out their benches is, is something. Uh, and Will Barton's been really fun to watch too. But 
And then they get to play Utah the next day uh, on a back-to-back. And that's so, tough. That's yes, tough. That's not going to be fun. Back-to-back um, in altitude. Yeah. And against a team that moves the ball better than just about any other team in the NBA. So we'll see how that goes. We have a lot of, of time before then, though. And hopefully any defensive kinks and, and offensive kinks have worked out. And hopefully Malcolm Brock can, can, can be back and healthy in time. But we will see. Caitlin, this has been fun. To anyone listening, thank you for listening. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day.